Welcome to Medical Minefield, the podcast where we talk about the ethical dilemmas at the heart of the health stories that matter the most. I'm Barney Kalman. And I'm Eve Simmons. And we're health journalists, which means we spend our lives asking tough questions to top experts so you don't have to. This week, we're talking about blood tests that test for every little thing under the sun. Are they a health revolution or a waste of money and a route to health anxiety? As ever, we'd like to know what you think, so tweet us using the hashtag MedicalMinefield or email us on health at mailonsunday.co.uk. Well, the reason we're talking about this, Eve, is because Britain's largest COVID testing provider, Randox, mm-hmm. who everyone has heard of because they've had to shell out vast amounts of money probably to go on holiday at some point over the last couple of years, They are about to pivot, so no longer will they be focusing on COVID testing. They're going to be offering a blood test. It checks for 150 different problems that you might or might not have. Wow, I didn't know there were 150 things that could be wrong with me. Well... Well, you never know until you, uh, you know, until you have the test, I guess. Mm. So uh, the idea is that customers, they, you won't need any symptoms. So normally if, if you have something wrong, you'd go to your GP and you'd say, oh, I've got, you know, headaches for the last whatever it is or a tummy ache. And, and they'd order a blood test or they'd order a specific blood test that would flag up what they might suspect to be the problem. But that's not going to be the case with Randox. You'll be able to go in, just order the blood test and they basically run all the tests under the sun and then tell you if if anything is worrying anything is a cause of concern that you might have something wrong with you so they look for various different levels of chemicals in the blood Mm -hmm. and these indicate that there might be something wrong it's not a diagnostic tool but it shows something's something's up basically Mm. which is what blood tests generally do and the idea is you then take that information to your gp and then have treatment if you need treatment or more investigations if you need more investigations it reminds me a bit of uh i don't know if you ever saw the whole elizabeth holmes theranos Theranos, i did indeed but then there was something wrong with the test is that not right it was the test that was the problem well the thing i mean theranos turned out to not work because she said this all could be done from a tiny finger drop of mm. blood and uh it didn't work but that's not what's going to happen here they're going to do a traditional a proper blood test yeah you're going to have mm. to have a needle in the arm unfortunately mm. but it has caused controversy there are doctors who say this is preying on the worried well mm. It's a bit of a hazard of being a health journalist, I think, that you end up having tests for things that you don't need. I mean, I've had various different tests over the years that have mm. flagged things up that maybe I didn't need to know were there in the first place. And that's the worry that doctors have about these kinds of fishing expedition tests. Yeah. Like I, I definitely have experience of this. A few years ago, I was worried about my hormone health and a dietitian I know who I speak to who kind of specialises in this area but also has her fingers in various private pies. I spoke to her about this and I said, um, look, I, I'm worried about this. And she said, look, just go and get this blood test. My friend does it. It's great and it will tell you, you know, about your levels of oestrogen and what not and I I did it and my levels were were slightly low but there were all these kind of funny names for things that I didn't really understand it was like your blah blah factor and got sent the results via an email and it brought up this very complicated robotic sounding 
thing. And I then asked the person who was involved, who was actually an endocrinologist, and she sent back an even more complicated explanation that I also did, still didn't understand. And then so I was left just worrying that I had a problem and wasn't quite sure what to do with it. I have a, a similar kind of experience, I, I suppose. I had a hormonal test. It was a, a company that was launching and they were looking for journalists to try things out. And I had a, a man check or male health check. Or check whatever you're it was. a man. Check, checking I'm still a man. Jury's out. <laughs> Don't think Boris Johnson would like that, though. Not oh today. no! Yeah, <laughs> he's invested now. Biological. Mm. It's, well, it was actually t- looking for my, you know, biological male traits. Stuff. So things like testosterone, mm. but also a whole bunch of other things which I'd never heard of. That was exactly like mine. I thought it was just estrogen, progesterone. Yeah luteinizing hormone that was it but no apparently not no well it was looking for all of these things and so i sent off my blood sample it was a finger prick one where you have to gouge away (laughs) your finger and it's never as easy as you think you put aside at least half a day for that one activity (laughs) and there was blood every you have to manage to get your blood into this tiny little thimble and by the end every finger is (laughs) just savage yeah yeah, and there's no blood in the <laughs> there's no blood in the vial, um, but I managed to get the sample off to whoever it was offering my man check, and it came back. I got a call from a from a nurse hmm. who told me that um, everything was fine except for my levels of some kind of phalanges, something or other <laughs> I'd never heard of, which she said was it was abnormal, and so I obviously said. Okay, so what does this mean? Mm. And she couldn't tell me. That's terrible. That's the thing that I think is awful about this, that it just makes you worry and then there's no explanation. So you're kind of like, something's wrong with me, but I don't know what it is. Well, I happen to be friendly with some doctors Mm. and and including an endocrinologist who I spoke to about this. And he said that it was a complete misinterpretation of, of the results and that in the context of all the other levels of things, Mm. this one being an outlier and slightly higher than you might see was nothing. I mean, Mm. it just was nothing. It didn't mean anything on its own whatsoever. Interesting. Randox, we're revealing this weekend in in the Mail on Sunday so people don't realise that they're about to do this. But there are other companies and I think one of these companies, I think it's Hims or one of these other men's... Newman. Oh, Newman, who they they do hair loss drugs, erectile dysfunction drugs, everything you need to be a proper man. Mm -hmm. Now they're going to be doing, or they are doing this, they've called it the fear nothing test where essentially, like the Randox thing, they check for anything. And apparently the difference with this one is you don't pay for anything that they don't find. I don't quite understand how this works. Ooh. So if they find something really dramatic, you pay more or... You, That's just, I don't know. <laughs> if you're about nuts, to die, you pay the most. £150, please. But the whole worried well thing is is real. You know, mm. if these tests really are, as we've both experienced, flagging up things that mean absolutely nothing, and then... You know, I mean, there's always that thing in the back of your mind that it might do Mm. and it might be something. And in fact, these kind of stories have circulated. One journalist I work with went for a mole check as a promotional thing. And the nurse that did that found one mole that she was convinced was a melanoma and sent her into an absolute tailspin of worry, which turned out not to be. And, you know, someone looking at your moles under a microscope is not necessarily going to be that invasive. But another journalist I know who had an eye check, then it flagged up something worrying and she had to have a full examination with an ophthalmologist to rule out an eye condition. It involved her having a needle inserted into her eye. 
You know, so the tests aren't always mm. harmless. I actually themselves. thought of this because I knew we were doing this piece. And when I went for my recent eye test, they tried to flog me some like super duper eye test that checks for every single eye disease you could ever have. But it was mainly for older people with, uh, with diabetes who might have certain complications. But they kept pushing and pushing. I should definitely have this and I might go blind if I don't have it. Mm. There's always that worry, isn't there? Mm. And the other side of the coin is that as, as health journalists, we always hear these stories of, you know, someone who went to their GP with symptoms of, you know, a fullness of the stomach or tiredness mm. or fatigue or, you know, things things that everyone gets and they knew something was wrong and the GP said, oh, it's probably nothing, it's probably nothing. And then the next week it turned out to be, you know, rampaging terminal cancer and then they were dead. But there was a shocking statistic out this week that showed that was it one in three cancer diagnoses are picked up after an appointment to A&E um, yeah. which is that I mean that's really terribly worrying but would these tests really do anything to avoid that mm. perhaps and you know there are there are doctors who say yes in a time stretched NHS where they can't give people proper attention private services like these will have a function mm. others say purely playing on the worried well it's a commercial innovation. They cause more problems mm. than they solve. And I think we should hear both sides of that debate. And we're really. going to start with a very important doctor, aren't we? Absolutely. We're going to talk to our very own GP columnist, Dr Ellie Cannon. Ellie, thanks very much for finding time to talk to us. We're discussing blood tests today, um, specifically a universal blood tests that's just about to be mm. offered by Randox, the former COVID testing, now blood testing company. You don't think... Think it sounds like a good idea? No, I really don't. Um, it's quite a common request as well in general practice that we have in clinic. Can I have blood tests to see if I'm healthy? And in fact, blood tests in isolation are not particularly useful. It's fine if they're very focused, for example, if you have a risk factor, for example, for prostate cancer. So maybe you have PSA screening every year. But this idea that you can do a sort of broad sweep and have a look at whole loads of things, including serum rhubarb, and it will tell you how ill or well you are. It's just not right. It's really spurious. And it's not good clinical based medicine. Just to play devil's advocate, I mean, people would say it's better to know these things than not know. If there was something mm. that was amiss, if there was levels of something that could indicate the early signs of something going wrong, mm. they would rather know than not. And it could help you intervene at an earlier stage. And it could save your life. Well, this is exactly the point, because it's not giving you that information. So there aren't sort of tests that show, well, look, this is actually showing an early sign of disease. When we find early signs of diseases like cancer or other serious conditions, in fact, it's a combination of examination, history taking and the blood tests. So you could do 200 blood tests and actually not do the right one. Or you could do those blood tests and in fact what you think you're seeing with a higher or lower level of something actually doesn't fit in with the clinical picture. So these blood tests in isolation in fact offer false reassurance first of all but also can bring up 
false positives as well. So, for example, I had a patient recently who was told they had a really high iodine. And this caused a huge amount of anxiety for this patient. And it was absolutely irrelevant to her life. It didn't cause any problems. It wasn't something clinical. The person who'd taken the blood, this type of private sector operative who'd taken the blood, didn't have any idea what to do with it. We ended up having to put her through loads and loads of tests to make sure everything was okay. And it was a nothing and it didn't need to be known or talked about. There was a story this week that one in three cancer cases are diagnosed in A&E. So obviously this is someone who's so ill with cancer, it's going to be sort of dire at that point, isn't it? And it's quite worrying, really, that we're not picking things up early enough. Uh, You know, if there was some kind of way the private sector could get involved in trying to flag up problems earlier, wouldn't it be a better thing? Yes, it would. And I I really like that question because that really gets to the heart of the problem, which is this says it's doing something which it really isn't. So, yes, we absolutely need to pick up cancer early, but offering people 200 types of blood tests is not the way to do it. If the private sector really wants to help people, then early access to scanning from GPs would be really helpful or other ways where we can actually have specific testing, not this blanket testing, which is really theatre, isn't anything more than that. It doesn't actually offer what it claims to be offering. There are patients, though, Ellie, who say that they didn't feel very well and they struggled to get a blood test from their GP and they went out and paid for this private blood test and then all of a sudden it flagged up something that explained why they were feeling the way that they were feeling and they think that these tests are brilliant. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And you're always going to have anecdotes like that, just like you're going to have people who seek alternative health care and end up getting better and all of this sort of thing. But for the main, for most people, these are not helpful and they can create, as I say, false positive, false negatives, a false sense of reassurance. So you find that with people who have sort of regular private testing, private screening, they have this wrong sense of um, reassurance. But actually, those blood tests are only reassuring you on that day for whatever those blood tests show. And by the next day, they're already invalid. What's far more useful for people is to act on strange signs and symptoms, new problems that they feel, being aware. You don't want that false reassurance that means, well, it's okay, I had my blood test last week, so I'm not going to go and explore this lump. People are much better being in tune with their own bodies and seeking assistance. But I agree with you, we don't have great access to general practice because of a lack of GPs and healthcare professionals. So there are delays and I can understand why people do seek reassurance elsewhere. People use this phrase, the worried well, a patient population who there's nothing wrong with them, uh, but they love to have tests because they constantly think something might be happening. Stop looking at me when you're saying that. (laughs) Do you see patients who come back and back and there's nothing wrong with them? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the worried well um, is certainly a phenomenon that we see in GP land. Um, People who look for testing, who often can advocate very well for themselves and come in for tests or ask for tests or have them done in the private sector and do get sort of a false reassurance from that. We have more extreme versions of people who actually have proper diagnosed health anxiety who do need to seek that reassurance in order to calm down their anxiety that something's wrong with their health, which is a more extreme version of that. It's often said that Some of the screening programs we have in the UK reassure the worried well rather than actually sort of picking up 
the diseases we need to pick up. I know people who are against the breast screening program in this country believe it is really helping the worried well rather than anybody else. Well, look, Ellie, thanks so much for finding time to talk to us. Thank you. Bye. I mean, health anxiety is, is a real thing. I saw one study when I was researching into this earlier that said one in five patients in, in hospital outpatient clinics had signs of health anxiety, hypochondria. Mm. The study didn't look at whether or not there was nothing wrong with them at all, but it certainly mm. indicated that they were more worried than the average person about their health mm. and more worried than other patients in that outpatient clinic. Mm. That's really interesting. So, and that was done in 2019, and the pandemic anecdotally has made health anxiety worse, Mm. hasn't it? I guess the problem is we hear so many stories, as you were saying earlier, about conditions that are missed and the importance of catching things early. And so I do think there's a difference between health anxiety and being maybe overly aware of symptoms that you might have and not kind of thinking, oh, they'll probably go away in a week and acting as soon as, you know... Of course, that's the other side of it, isn't it? Mm. People who ignore stuff until they get really bad and then Which you know, is and why, it's too late. when I have a headache, I make sure I go and get a... MRI scan of the skull. <laughs> I, I, I don't actually do that. I think that's the difference, that I overthink a symptom, but it's very rare that I will actually then go out and get a test or anything like that. How rare? Mm, once a year. <laughs> well, you know, belt and braces and all that. Well, exactly. But I think you've got someone to speak to now who thinks these blood tests are a good thing. Yes, so on the line now is Dr Dean Eggett, who is a GP based in Doncaster. Dr. Eggett, thanks so much for finding some time. These blood tests, these catch-all blood tests, have been widely criticised by lots of doctors across the country. But you take a different view, don't you? Can you explain a little bit about why you think they may be useful? Yeah, thanks, Eve. I do take a different view, but I think that view has changed over the years. So the problem that we have at the moment in the NHS is that my patients can't get through to me. No matter how hard they try, no matter how hard I try, we have an access problem to care here in England. So I'm not necessarily against looking for blood tested investigations elsewhere if it helps the patient get timely access to investigations that may figure out what's going on with them. Because the last thing I want is them sat at home languishing, getting more poorly because they can't get through to me. So we need all the help we can get. I'm okay with that. And do you think blood tests that may be taken by a healthy person with no symptoms who are just kind of, they're curious really to see if there's anything wrong with them. Is there a place for that as well? Yeah, now we're getting onto the topic of screening and that's a bit more tricky. That's a minefield because of course what you're saying is, is there necessarily an underlying condition that can even be found, can be treated? And there's an argument that a blood test coming back telling you something doesn't really tell you everything you need to know. And certainly I find it difficult to interpret blood test results without understanding the context of the patient. However, again, a slightly different slant on this is that if we think of the patient holistically, not just the body, but also the mental health, some people need that reassurance. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people argue that a blood test creates anxiety I would also argue that a blood test can help ease anxiety. And therefore, if we're easing mental duress, isn't that a good thing? Interesting. That's not a point that I've, I've heard before. I guess I would have thought that the whole point of health anxiety is if you're buying into it, you know, you're encouraging it by offering that assurance when perhaps you might not need it. Well, again, I think I'm looking at this through a different lens than we would have done several years ago, because... 
our experiences with COVID has really heightened anxiety, depression and mental illness um, over the past couple of years. So we've got a number of patients now who are increasingly anxious about their health and are looking for investigations as a way of reassuring them that they're all okay. So those patients are now coming to me and saying, well, can you just give me a check? Can you give me a screen? And of course, I spend my time saying, well, there's no real point in that. It's not going to tell us anything. But at the end of the day, nine times out of 10, most of our healthcare professionals end up doing something as a way of reassuring the patient and buying them that level of security. Mm. So again, if the patient's going to do that independently, what difference does it make with sat there with me? I've actually had many doctors say to me, we'll do this just to reassure you. So that it will it would relieve some of the pressure on, on GPs who have to look after the worried well anyway. That is that basically what you're saying? Yeah, certainly. I, I don't think it's a straightforward argument of that it's going to inundate us with pressure of patients going away, getting a blood test and then coming to us anxious. Because let's face it, they're coming to us anxious anyway. Mm. If they go away and get their own blood test and then come to me and then I can talk them through it, half of the job is done. So that may ease some of the burden. That leads me on to what I was going to ask. If one of these blood tests flag up something complicated, even I were talking about blood tests we've had in the line of duty that have flagged up unusual changes to certain hormone levels or whatever that no one understands, would you easily be able to get us a referral to a private specialist to really look into what that result means? Or is that available? You know, because a lot of these testing companies say, oh, if anything's flagged up, we tell people to visit their GP. So what can you do about it? What can it? you do about it? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of angst about that in general practice where a patient has been to a private screening company. And I'm just going to highlight again, screening is a whole different kettle of fish. But if a patient does go away for an investigation and then comes to me and said, look, I've been told to come to you for a discussion on this topic, GPs tend to be frustrated because they're thinking, well, if somebody ordered it, why don't they deal with it? Personally, again, I don't really have a problem with that because if there is something abnormal flagged up, well, isn't it my job to help the patient deal with the problem, both mentally and physically? So if it's just a case of reassuring the patient and saying, well, this is normal, don't worry about it. It looks abnormal, but it, actually it's normal. That's my job. I'm OK with that. And actually, if it's flagged up something that's quite physically abnormal and needs treatment, I'm OK with that, too, because that's my job. Are there certain things that are too specialist for or too niche for the NHS to be able to refer for, though? Like, is it ever the case that a patient will come with low levels of octimocti, whatever it is, and the GP will turn around and say, well, actually, there's not really much we can do in the scope of the NHS, but you can go privately and get something? Yeah, well, the beauty about the NHS is the NHS provides evidence-based care. So if you have a problem and there is evidence that it can be dealt with, the NHS will deal with it. That's great. Mm. I think where the NHS, um, maybe failure is not the right word, but where the NHS falls down is if you want an experimental treatment, something that's new, where actually there isn't that much evidence yet and we're still looking to evaluate if it's the right thing to do but you still want to be a new innovator, you want to adopt it early, the NHS might not be able to help you for that. But that doesn't stop me as an NHS GP facilitating access to that for you. Somehow, again, that's my job. I'm not necessarily there to pass you to the NHS. I'm there to try and get you to where that care is in or out of the NHS. Mm, so you may well say you're better off going private and trying this doctor who does offer this. Yeah, and I'm doing that increasingly. Again, with the coronavirus pandemic going on, increasingly I'm getting patients coming to me and saying, I've got X, Y and Z problems. How can you help me? And I say, well, there's, there's the NHS option, but at the moment there's an eight-month waiting list. Or I know the guy down the road will see you within two weeks. Your call, mm. what do you want to do? Wow. Well, I know some doctors who would have some strong opinions on that. But um, Dr Dean Eggett, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you.
Eve, I'm worried about your octi-mockti. <laughs> My octi-mockti levels are high. They're what are going to do? The chart. Is there a private guy down the road who can do something? <laughs> but this is what the conversation is. It, it, it's about the privatisation of healthcare, isn't it? Mm. Um, and that it's no surprise that Randox, who leapt on the COVID pandemic and mm. were accused, I believe, of making a 2,000% profit margin on COVID testing. Wow. Well, that doesn't surprise me. You know, here that. they are at the, the yeah. vanguard of blood testing that we maybe don't need, but probably will have anyway, because we can't get one elsewhere anyway. Well, it's such a difficult situation because you've obviously got some doctors like Dr. Eggett who are more practical and think, well, there's no point putting principles before practicalities. If you've got a patient that needs to go and get a blood test, then what's wrong with them paying for it if they can afford it, rather than having to wait however many months and then potentially facing complications down the line? It's interesting that Randox are charging 295 for this test, £295. Why does that not come with a doctor to actually say this is what we think is the matter. So what happens? You get a transcript or something and then I, you have no, to go I don't, and... I don't know the, the absolute detail. I mean, that but is it's not going to be it's not going to be uh, anything in depth. Is because it? interpretation is key to these things. Otherwise, you're just left with a load of numbers that you don't understand. I suppose testing is expensive, isn't it, in itself, like the lab costs and, and processing and all of that kind of stuff. And then, I mean, typically a private consultation with a specialist is going to be about 250 quid. So I guess at 295, you're not going to get both. What? It would be even more to get a medical consultation alongside your test result. Surely the, the best option here or the best way to use private services in this kind of sphere is to set up private blood testing clinics, you know, in, in every town, city or whatever. And then GPs can refer patients to the private place and maybe there's a kind of flat fee or something. And then the GP does the interpretation of their results. But you've just got so that patients don't have to go, you know, to the NHS, to the hospitals or wait for a blood test. But there has been that fear, hasn't there, in, in the health service that, that there is this gradual creep towards privatisation mm. by stealth. They call it privatisation by stealth because, you know, it's, it's creating an environment where companies can pop up offering services that just simply aren't being catered for by the main NHS service. Mm. And gradually those will become more and more until you find that the core NHS really doesn't do much at all. What's the answer to all this, do you think? Well, I'm not really sure that there is one. There's always going to be private companies that are going to pop up. And, you know, God knows, we report on them, the private companies offering the health thing that nobody needs time and time again. And I think, you know, I do have faith in the British public that £295 is a lot of money. And I, I don't think there's going to be that many people kind of queuing up to, to get it. Because I think that there is obviously an understanding that you can just go to your GP rather than paying £295 for something you're worried about. If you can get an appointment. Mm. And that's the point, isn't it? Mm. However, are there not fast track referrals for blood tests? So because of the triage system now where you speak to a doctor over the phone, they can refer you straight to a blood test. And lots of hospitals now have walk-in clinics. So you can just go to the clinic the next week and get your blood test then. So I'm not really sure that... It's that difficult to get a blood test right now. I don't know. Well, I'd be interested to know what readers and listeners thought about that question. So do let us know what your experiences are of getting tests, having your complaints, minor ailments, etc., fears and worries looked at and listened to and tested 
by the NHS services. That's all we've got time for today. You'll find all the latest health news in this weekend's The Mail on Sunday. And you can follow me and Eve on Twitter. I'm at Barney Kalman. I'm at Eve Simmons without the O. Would you like to spell that? At E-V-E-S-I-M-M-N-S. How complicated. Someone else had Eve Simmons, so I had to improvise. We'll be back with another topic on Medical Minefield next week. See you then. Goodbye.